cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, April 24th, 2012. I had to look. (laughs) I have been in a writing hole. Oh, man. So today I decided to emerge for a little bit, you know, do a normal program fascism off my brain. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. It's kind of like this. Uh, We, well, we call a thing what it really is. If something's false teaching, well, we call it false teaching. And it's not that we're just calling it false teaching because we like to call things names. Like, "Ah, that's false teaching. No, that's not it at all. It's (laughs) It's because we can demonstrate, hey, that's not what God has revealed in his word. Our minds are to be transformed by the word of God. And listen, heresy, idolatry, all of that stuff is to be expected because God in his word told us to expect that kind of stuff. So, you know, we just kind of go, oh, okay, well, God said it, so we're going to prepare for it. And when it shows up, we're going to go, that's it. That's what it is. And so, and the idea is this, it's, it's politically incorrect. We're not, we don't bow to the collective will that says you must not speak about things that are politically incorrect to talk about because well everybody knows that there's impolite conversations and we don't allow that to happen here in fact we will only talk about things in veiled terms and you know to talk about things well abstractly or conceptually or things like that now (laughs) man i think i've had way too much coffee today anyway um so no we call the thing what it is And it's real simple. It's real simple. This is an exercise in getting you into God's word. And it's like, listen, I understand that there are people that we review here at Fighting for the Faith that may actually be, well, your pastor. Or, you know, they may be the guy pastoring the church that you've attended a couple of times. Or you might know a friend who goes to that church. Or, you know, you might believe the thing that's being taught. And, and, you know, and so the idea here is is that uh, I'm fully aware that what I do here on a day-to-day basis is, well, it's going to step on your toes. And it's not that it's just that I step on your toes. It's that I'm wearing steel cleats while doing it and jumping up and down. 
I understand that. Believe me, it's really for your benefit that I do that I do this because I don't think that anybody's helped by, well, being abstract by kind of being vague as to what we're talking about here. No, 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 no. It's like this guy said this, or this gal said that, and this is what the Bible says. I can't get the two to square. Therefore, that person, the guy or the gal in question, they're wrong. They're teaching falsely. They're and it and it matters. The truth matters. You know, Jesus says those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth, not spirit and in whatever you feel like. You know, you, you understand what I'm saying. So it feels good to be behind the microphone actually doing a normal edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, the previous, well, not yesterday. Yesterday we had to do a light edition, but prior to that was it was like a 10-episode edition of Fighting for the Faith that all were connected together. Ten bad sermons and, oh, not ten bad sermons, five bad sermons. Uh, I don't even remember what I did. Hang on a second here. Check the tape here. Oh, that's right. That's what I did. Five. <laughs> I did some good Easter sermons. A whole bunch of them. It was more than five. A, a week long of good Easter sermons, and then all last week was the uh, was the uh, the bad Easter sermons. And you are all are voting on it. In fact, if you haven't been to fightingforthefaith.com and registered your vote, uh, head on over to fightingforthefaith.com and register your vote. Um, it'll be up there through uh, really and, until the the program on Monday of next week. So I'm going to keep it up there, and then next week we will announce the final results. And uh, at the moment, at the moment, we've got somebody who's clearly in the lead. Okay, you know, I'm just saying. So, um, and uh, I've been getting emails, by the way, folks, uh, from people basically saying that uh, Shane Hips. That that was a sermon in a different category altogether. I mean, you know, you got Chris Songson, you got Troy Grambling, and and oh man, that Troy Grambling sermon. And I've got more people coming out of the woodwork saying he totally ripped that off from Beth Moore. Yeah, it, it, well, yeah, and you know, it, it. And then I got somebody who sent me a <laughs> comment at the Fighting for the Faith website saying, Chris. This is an unfounded allegation. You did not back it up. And so, you know, I might have to actually go back. Somebody uh, sent me a link to uh, something that actually kind of demonstrates how he ripped it off from the Beth Moore, you know, get out of that pit book. Anyway, but I, I'm just saying I'm not going to reveal who who's in the lead currently because I've learned that, you know, I I – you know, I don't think I've picked the winner yet. I I I got to tell you, I I'm kind of surprised. You know, last year I had a favorite. Yeah, no. This year I've got a favorite. Yeah, no. It doesn't look like that. So anyway, just you know, just saying. All right, so let's talk about what we're gonna do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. First of all, uh, I got to thank you all. Uh, those of you who've been sending in your Pringle jingles. Um, we some of you are pretty gifted Pringle Jingle uh, creators, and so I want to make sure that we uh, recognize your contributions, your creativity, and your innovation here at Fighting for the Faith in today's edition. So we're going to be uh, spending some time looking at uh, some of the Pringle Jingles that I have received over the past uh, few days uh, via email and on my Facebook wall. So we've got Pringle Jingles coming up uh, that we got to take a look at. I definitely have a Patricia King update. I've got a oh man. Um, I've got an update from, well, it's kind of a dual thing. Joel Osteen slash um, T.D. Jakes update. Uh, apparently, um, Joel Osteen's going to be speaking at T.D. Jakes's upcoming conference in a couple of days. I've got a uh, blog post that I want to read from the do not be surprised.com website regarding uh, restoring cultures. I have no idea what that means. Uh, restoring cultures. Apparently, we've got to restore them. Um, and so uh, we're going to take a look at that. I, 
I potentially might have a potential church update. And did I, did I mention I got a Patricia King update? Um, her and Barbie Breth- uh, Breathed, um are talking about the seer anointing. Hmm. Yeah. See, that's my problem. I can't see because I haven't got the seer anointing. So, you know, we'll be taking a look at that today. And then in hour number two, we're going to be reviewing another church that has decided to dive headlong into the circus performance uh, genre of seeker-driven um, services. Um, yeah, oh, man. Northridge Church up in Plymouth, Michigan. Um, they've uh, they've done a, well, um, a circus-themed um well, they got a whole full-blown circus-themed sermon series that they're doing, and so we're going to take a look at that. And just so you know, I will be—I I intend to get back to uh, the um, the Experiencing God, uh, the Blackaby series, as soon as I am finished with my writing project, so that I can properly prepare for the segment and and you know and pull it apart. So that if you understand what I'm saying, that one actually takes a little bit of homework on my part, and so. Uh, as soon as I have an opportunity, we'll get back to the um, the uh, Blackaby series that was uh, done over at Granger Community Church because uh, it yeah, kind of a mess there. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. And uh, since we're going to be doing Pringle jingles and they all came in via email, we got to do this. Okay, just so you know, these have come in from multiple uh, listeners. Logging into my Facebook wall here. Every now and then it logs, it kicks me out. I'm not sure why it does that. It's like every five or six days, all of a sudden I got to re-log into Facebook. Okay, so uh, from email first, um, you know, I just did a quick search through my email account and typed in Pringle Jingle, and I got to tell you, I got I got a lot of y'all who've been sending in your Pringle Jingles, and so uh, if I don't know where you're from, I won't say where you're from, but if I know your name, then I'll I'll let you know. Um, so uh, with that, um, let's see here, Lori from Cary, North Carolina, has sent in a well, a scad, a group, a uh, bundle of of uh, Pringle Jingle submissions and uh, and and Lori was well concerned that um that there you know the submissions wouldn't be read cuz you know they were kind of late but actually don't worry they're not late we got them all so Lori here's um uh, the, the Pringle Jingle submissions from Lori from Cary North Carolina Lori uh, writes <clears throat> it's if it's a miracle that you be needin then Pringle's palm you best be greasin <laughs> Yeah, by the way, the the whole point here is is that Phil Pringle from uh, the Presence Conference, he's like a Johann Tetzel. And so he had a famous uh, jingle that when the coin in the coffer clings, it's soul from Purgatory Springs. So these are your attempts at trying to, well, come up with some good slogan jingles for uh, for Phil Pringle. So if there's a miracle that you be needing, then uh, Pringle's palm, you best be greasing. Next one. If you don't pony up the dough, your miracle will be no go. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, next one, put buku bucks in the plate, and your miracle will be great. Okay. Uh, the more you give, the better you are sure to live. Okay. Next one, if you if you empty out your pockets, miracles will shoot up like rockets. Okay. And then the last one from uh, Lori in Cary, North Carolina. If you don't think that money for miracles rates, 
then you're just one of those people who hates. Yeah, see, I'm glad that you ended on the ad hominem there. Okay. Cindy writes, and Cindy's from Texas. She writes, she says, get off that empty row for revival and cash to flow. Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, Richard writes from Portland, Oregon. As the check hits the pitcher, Phil Pringle gets richer. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And then we got a couple of uh, uh, submissions here from Joanna in Gladstone, Queensland. That would be Australia. Uh, uh, when the when thy heartstrings Pringle doth pull, the offering plate must be full. Okay. Next one from uh, Joanna. Pringle proclaimeth God shall give thou what thou thou desire. Only when thou ties in free will offerings art so much higher. Now, Joanna. <laughs> The King James English Phil Pringle jingles. I had no idea that anyone would even attempt this. I mean, so I got to tell you, you know, that <laughs> just by level of difficulty here. I mean, these aren't just Phil Pringle jingles. These are KJV Phil Pringle jingles. Okay, next one. With such positive words and such glowing face, thy valid doubts Pringle wilt aim to erase. And the last one from Joanna in uh, Australia. Pringles misquoting of scripture, do not fear, with increased tithes, God's blessings surely will appear. <laughs> uh, these are actually pretty good. <clears throat> Jake, also from Australia, writes, he says, uh, by the way, this is Jake from the uh, C3 Church Watch blog, uh, a, a jingle of four stanzas, if you would. Uh, when your earlobes start to tingle, it means you're listening to Pringle, because Jesus only loves you when you give your cash to fill again. And again, and again, ouch. Yep, that's right. Okay, Dan from Colorado Springs. By the way, that's you know. remember I said Dan last week he had a, a Pringle Jingle submission, and, well, all I knew was his area code. I didn't know exactly where he was from. I, so I kind of figured he was somewhere in the uh, southeastern quadrant of Colorado. Turns out he's from Colorado Springs. He, he says, uh, <clears throat> here's another uh, uh, Pringle Jingle for you. When your check to Pringle clears, a miracle from heaven appears <laughs> okay um uh jonathan writes and i don't know where he's from i just know that he sent this from his iphone he says when listening and giving to profit phil pringle i feel the wallet in my back pocket tingle yeah that's a pretty good one all right from my facebook wall mark from uh manorville new york writes he's got, um, when the offering goes cha-ching your wishes jesus will bring Okay, <laughs> so apparently this is not the biblical Jesus. It's kind of a casino type Jesus. Next up is Katie. I'm not sure which town she's from, but she wrote on my Facebook wall to the tune. I think this was from one of those claymation. Um, you know, remember the claymation Christmas uh, things? Anyway, the, uh, the so I think that's the tune here. But uh, the the uh, Phil Pringle jingle goes jingle jingle jingle. I can hear the offerings ring. I am old Phil Pringle. I'm the king of jingling. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. Drew from uh, Richwood, Kentucky writes, he says, don't make me holler, don't make me shout, just turn them pockets inside out. <laughs> oh, man. And last but not least, Zuko writes, you don't get, you, you won't get what you want from greed, only from offering up a seed. God has a miracle for you. Just write out a check or two. 
The Lord will deign to grant you kids for giving us your highest bids. And the final one, since your credit card has run, your miracle has now begun. <laughs> Ouch. Actually, those are all really good. Thank you, everyone who's participated thus far in coming up with your own uh, Phil Pringle jingles. They are, well, very clever, and they make the point very well. Thank you very much. Moving along. Have you received the seer anointing? Maybe you don't have the ability to see it. Um, if you haven't received the seer anointing... Yeah, here's Patricia King and Barbie uh, Breathitt, well, discussing the so-called seer anointing. See if you can make any sense of this. Welcome to Everlasting Love. My name's Patricia King. I'm glad that you've joined us for today's program with our special guest, Barbie Breathitt. We're going to talk about the seer anointing. Notice how excited she is. Oh, goody, we're going to talk about the seer anointing. The Bible doesn't actually ever mention that. And Barbie, this is a, a great subject that you teach and instruct on and release impartation in. Before this show's over, I want you to pray for all of our viewers for an impartation of that seer anointing. Yes, yeah, share with the crowd, will you? You know. Now, the Lord's given you some uh, insight concerning the days that we're living in, mm -hmm. that there's an acceleration of this anointing. So do you want to share? So this is an acceleration of... <laughs> What do you mean there's an acceleration of this anointing that isn't even talked about in the Bible? With us, what he's shown you. I believe this is the time of Ian or Ian, however you want to pronounce it, which is the seer, which is the eye. And it talks about when he came to Jesus. <laughs> huh? <laughs> okay, I'm lost already. Jeremiah, he began to train him to see. He'd say, he'd ask him the question, what do you see in the vision? And so when he trained Moses, he said uh, he had to turn aside to see the burning bush. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> so over there at Exodus chapter 3, I mean, proof of the, uh, the existence of the seer anointing is that, is that Moses apparently had to turn aside to see the burning bush. And see, that means that he was being trained in the seer anointing. Well, let me take a look at this. Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, came to the Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Yeah, so, I mean, wow. Who knew that all along, right there in Exodus chapter 3, um, was apparently proof uh, you know, <laughs> that the, of the seer anointing. See, the fact that Moses, you know, he was walking along, minding his own business, and then all of a sudden he sees a bush and he had to turn aside... To see it, see that was him being trained up in the um, in the seer anointing. I mean, really, really, really. Okay. Um. Wow. 
Can't wait to hear more. And so we've been used to hearing God's voice, but yeah. God said, I want you to exercise all five of your senses. Wow. So God told you that he wants us to exercise all five of our senses in being able to uh, experience. So <laughs> hang on a second here. Um, I, it's been a while since I've been to kindergarten, so let me see if I can walk through the senses here. I've got the sense of touch, the sense of taste, the sense of smell, the sense of hearing, and the sense of seeing. So God has told you, Barbie, that God wants us to exercise all five senses in when it comes to direct revelation from God. So would that mean that God wants to give me a smell-o-vision? You know, the, <clears throat> the seer, when it talks about the prophet or the seer, prophets are usually just the speaking. They hear God's voice and they speak what he says. Yeah. A seer takes it up a whole nother level because he talks about having to put a hood on the seer's head to keep them from hearing and communicating. <laughs> what? Oh, man. Wow. So they use their eyes to see, yeah. their nose to smell and discern, their mouth to prophesy, their ears to hear, and they can sense and feel with their senses. Right. So there's a magnification that God's releasing to us now. And he so, I mean, we're talking an immersive experience of using all five senses when it comes to, I mean, it's not enough just to get a word from God now. I mean, that only involves one particular sense, apparently. But now we, we need an immersive five sensory prophetic experience he wants all of our senses to be optimum he wants us to encounter him mm -hmm. it's not just hear about him out of a written word mm -hmm. but it's yeah now see you know, yeah, that, <laughs> notice the, the slap there yeah he doesn't want to just read about him in the written word no 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 he wants us to smell him feel him know him touch him smell him and be able to move with him mm -hmm. uh, I, i'm <laughs> wow, this is just get this is just getting goofier, don't you think? And it's a whole experience and an encounter. Right. So he's wanting us to see, and so he's opening our eye gate to see him now. And I he's opening my what? My eye gate. <sighs> I like to say it. You get to see the beautiful one. Yeah. And when on. we see his beauty and we behold him, yeah. it transforms us because right. what comes through our eye gate then begins to touch us. It touches us down into our very depths. Mm. And so there's vision realm that's being released, dream realm that's being released, and not just internal, but external. What does it mean there's a dream realm being released? What does the word realm mean in that sentence? I mean, I am declaring and decreeing an acceleration of the dream realm being uh, increased and activated and what does the sentence even mean? These are nonsensical words, okay? Where we're able to look at somebody yeah. and see them the way that God sees them. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, can we smell them the way God smells them too then? Because, I mean, all senses are involved here. I don't know if I'd like that. A lot of our viewers might wonder, okay, what is it going to be like when I see? Like, is it like an open vision outside of my body where I see? Yeah, no, that's not even close to any of my questions. I mean, serious. I mean, like I, I would ask a question like, oh, really? When this happens, what am I going to see? No, no, no. I'm thinking you guys are crackpots. And this is not biblical Christianity at all. This is something completely different. Everything in technicolor and moving and breathing and, you know, just like we're sitting here 
or do I see in perceptions or do I see in faint little pictures or is it in my mind's eye? What does the seer anointing involve? I think all of that because God's going to take each individual and he's going to teach them according to the way they are programmed in the way they sense. If you take Elijah, when he was in the cave, the Lord told him, to, what are you doing in the cave? Come out. He was expecting God to be in the mighty rushing wind. He was expecting him to be in the shaking. He was expecting him to be in the fire, but he was in the still small voice. And so in that too, when he moved out of the cave and God a lot of times has to transition us, he wants to <laughs> I mean, Jesus' words about the blind leading the blind and both of them ending up in a pit is coming to mind here, really. So, okay, so God had to transition him so that he can... Uh, Move us from where we are currently yeah. to a new location in order to get vision. Right, because, you know, maybe the reception's better in that new location. Once he came out of the cave and he stood on the rock. Yeah. Just a minute, you mean a whole geographical location? Can be. So sometimes if people would move where they're living to another location... They will they get a new be... vision. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah, maybe that's the reason why I haven't had a vision lately. I haven't moved geographically, you know? Kind of go to the same place, do the same thing on a daily basis. Maybe I need to get out and move to a different location. And, you know, you know, I, I have an idea. I'll, I'll go on one of those spirit walks and, you know, maybe do a circle prayer, you know, around uh, City Hall here in uh, in Indiana, in Indianapolis. And, you know, maybe being in a new location, you know, they, they've got probably better reception downtown anyways. And, you know, so I might get better reception there. And then, boom, you know, I can have one of those smell visions and taste touch visions and, and, and you know, all because I'm in a new location. Really? When More he took the people to out of realm. Israel uh -huh. or out of Egypt, yeah, mm -hmm. moved yeah. them into the wilderness, that's when the pillar of fire came and the cloud came. And they yeah, because that was all about a geographical location vision. And he could see the pillar couldn't appear in Egypt, you know. Reception's really bad there in Egypt. I'm just saying, you know. Had vision to see those. Mm. They didn't see that when they were in Egypt. But when they... Yeah, listen to Patricia. Mmm, yeah, wow, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. None of this makes any sense at all. Transitioned into wilderness. Then they had vision to see. Very vision to see brings you into promise. <laughs> really interesting, yeah. Land. Very interesting. I remember years ago, my husband and I had lived in the same community for 27 years since we got married. We lived in the same community, raised our children there, started our ministry there. And then the Lord told us to move. And we had, we had had fruitful ministry while we were there. Uh, we had a little ministry. We enjoyed, you know, our team and serving each other and serving the Lord with each other. And, um, but then the Lord said, I need you to move to another place, which was uh, Kelowna, mm -hmm. British Columbia, where Wesley and Stacy Campbell uh, were heading up a work there, and they had invited us to come. And the Lord says, "I want you to go because I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you to a new level. And what you're gonna receive there, you, you won't be able to walk in here." Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was perplexing to me at the time. There's a fly on stage there, buzzing around Patricia King's head. No kidding. <laughs> wow. That's distracting. But anyways, we obeyed the Lord, 
And we made this big move. I mean, when you've lived in the same place for 27 years and left all your family and mm -hmm. team and everything that you, had, you, you had worked with. And so we left to go to a place where we weren't familiar with it. But as soon as we moved there, it was just like everything opened up mm -hmm. on a global level, yes. a whole global. Yeah, because God couldn't have opened any of that stuff as long as you were at that other place where you lived. You had to go all the way go to, you know, British Columbia. Better reception there, too. Global level. The prophetic elements mm -hmm. that we'd been walking in yeah. escalated. And it was simply yeah. by changing a geographical mm -hmm. location and connecting with people who were seasoned in that location. So it's really interesting. Every location he takes us to is a part of the training. Elijah, he said, go to the river, but that river dried up. Mm -hmm. And he had this, there he saw his natural resources and supernatural resources through the raven. And so he'll take us through the process. Then he takes him to another city. I mean, I mean, seriously, you're going to, you, I mean, do these people know how to read a biblical passage in context? I mean, the story of Elijah, okay, the, I mean, serious, it, it, this is not a how-to manual on how to have prophetic visions like Elijah had. When you read the story of Elijah, his special prophetic abilities were for him for that time. And it's not like you can copy and mimic it. There's like somehow there's some kind of a pattern that you can apply to your life here. I mean, seriously. And that was where Jezebel's father was. He right. goes, you go yeah. there and I'm going to now train you to how to defeat the gates of hell. And I'm uh, That's not in, anywhere in the story of Elijah. I'm not going to put you with a, a wealthy widow, but a poor mm -hmm. widow who right. has nothing, yet through that, he learned the skills in warfare. When he started out, he said, I... What translation of First Kings are you reading? I stand before the Lord, you know, but then at the end of his training process, yeah, he said, yeah. I am Elijah. Tell wow. Ahab, I am here. Mm -hmm. So God begins to let us recognize who Christ is in us. Oh, this... <laughs> Oh my goodness. I mean, somebody, I mean, I think of Vanna White, you know, I'd like to buy a valve. Somebody please buy a clue for these people so they can learn how to do at least some, some basic hermeneutics with the text that actually deals with what the text says and teaches. They're just making stuff up here. Through the process that he takes and we begin to see ourselves as God sees our, us, oh, we step wonderful. into destiny. It's just like when Elijah oh, yeah. so I'm gonna step into destiny then. Uh. came out of the cave. He heard the voice of Jesus or the Holy Spirit in there. Mm -hmm. When he came and stood on the rock, it said that Jesus was passing by. Mm -hmm. And he was able to begin to discern. So there's like on the road to Emmaus. Mm -hmm. there. Uh, it's not a cross-reference. They had heard the voice, they recognized the voice, and it, it resonated in right. them. But they, he wanted to go further. They compelled him to stay at that level. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. See, that's what they were doing. They were compelling him to stay at that level. I don't even know what that means. Stayed with them. They still didn't see him. They didn't recognize him mm -hmm. until he broke communion with them. You know, I'm getting a word of knowledge right now. So, Oh, no. She must have moved to a different location. Reception has improved, and all of a sudden, we're getting a message. Clear. It's for one of our viewers, and you you have been actually moved into a location by the Lord. You know, it says that, that the steps of the righteous are... It's like an email message coming in you know, from the Holy Spirit, you know, God mail, you know. Ordered of the Lord. And if you love the Lord and you pray for His will to be done in your life, I believe that you cannot really be 
be out of his will. If you want his will, and you're praying for his will, you will be in his will. You know, he'll make sure of that. But you're in a place that's extremely... It's like fortune telling. It's like Miss Chloe, you know? extremely uncomfortable for you right now. There's like elements around you that don't feel yeah, yeah. comfortable in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I'm not comfortable watching this video. And you think, what am I doing here? What? Am yeah, what am I doing watching this? I can't believe I'm watching this. What am I doing here? But it's like you're, you're planted there for your next level. Uh, oh, wow, that explains. So I just need to stick it out so I can get to my next level. What does that mean? My, what's my next level mean? Where does the Bible talk about, you know, next levels? I believe that you are there by God's grace to establish a fortress in the spirit, a place to stand where you are going to escalate to a whole new level. And I see in my spirit a portal opening up right now over you. This Oh, no. Poor guy. Portal's opening up right over him. It's probably a black hole. He's going to be spaghettified and you know, sucked into oblivion. Poor guy. Going to connect you to the glory of God like never before. So hang in there because there's a tension. Well, how can you hang in there with a glory portal that opens up right over your head? I mean, didn't seem to want to run right now. It's like I can feel it in the spirit. You want to run. You want to flee. You're making plans to to kind of get out of there, move to the next place. But you haven't conquered that place yet. Yeah. You haven't conquered that element yet. And God wants you to conquer it in its fullness and get the fruit of that region because He's going to give it to you. So conquer it in its fullness and then grab all the fruit in that region. <laughs> what is this? As a trophy, but you need to stay there. And so you got to get a fruit trophy. And get that trophy before you go on. When you go on, you'll go on from victory to victory, not from, oh, am I ever glad to get out of there? You know, it'll be, it'll be leaving with knowing that you've left deposit behind. So that is a... <laughs> A clear word. I'm getting it so strong. I feel the anointing all over me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you do. And it's for someone in particular. And um, yeah, what's his name? What's his address? And and it's involving your work. It's involving your, your uh, you know, not just family. It's involving. I mean, if this is a strong anointing from the spirit, don't you think that, you know, he could at least put the address on this letter? work actually um and yeah, uh -huh. things that god has for you to do yeah. so hang in there um and get the victory because god has some great things for you there a portal's gonna open yeah the portal's gonna open and then when you do the victory thing make sure you get your fruit trophies <laughs> i can't go on anymore i i can't go on anymore wow how is it that satan has so deceived these women that they actually think that this has anything to do with biblical Christianity. I mean, this is, I mean, a serious belief in in Elvis, you know, still being alive on the mothership behind the Hale-Bopp comet has more sanity to it than this. Unbelievable. All right, we are up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. I gotta go take a bath or something.
It's like what not to wear for theology. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally, we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet earth don't miss out on getting both rabbi michael zeitler's anointed audio cd sound of the shofar plus his brand new prophetic book why israel is supernatural for a donation of 25 dollars, shipping and handling is included ask for offer number 9081 call or write today Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Folks, we're back. Uh, warning, all of this talk about the so-called seer anointing, it's a satanic distraction. Gets your eyes off of Christ and what the Bible really says. 
focusing you on something completely off topic. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two, two, two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And thank you in advance for your support. Moving along. When I'm feeling lonely sad as I can be, all by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy, fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw don't have a flaw, they're shining teeth in me. I shine the teeth that twinkle, just like the stars in space. I shine the teeth that sparkle, and beauty to my face. Shiny teeth that glisten Just like a Christmas tree You know they walk the miles Just to see me smile Shiny teeth and me Yeah, that song kind of grows on me Anyway <laughs> Kind of peppy. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, <clears throat> that means that uh, we have something to say about Joel Osteen. Uh, Joel Osteen will be one of the featured speakers at, well, the upcoming leadership conference Put on in Florida, I believe, by, well, T.D. Jakes. Um, yeah, here, here's the video explaining. See if you th- can find anything wrong with any of this. Hey, hey, here we go. You know, just like you can catch negativity, you can catch faith. You can catch... Mm. <laughs> yep, it didn't take long. <laughs> wow, I had no... Negativity is in the air, folks. You might want to wear something, you know, like a anti-negativity face mask, you know, and you, just like you can catch negativity, you can catch faith. Apparently, it's an airborne disease now. You can catch victory. I see you. I'm gonna catch victory. Brought in Joel Osteen. Great job. You've accomplished this leg of the mission. Take a look at the response he sent in. That, that would be. <clears throat> T.D. Jakes, kind of Mission Impossible style, you know, on an iPad video conferencing to let this gentleman know that he's done the right thing by inviting and securing Joel Osteen for this upcoming leadership conference. Watch out though. I mean, you know, you can catch, you can, they might have some airborne negativity out there at the upcoming leadership conference. My parents started Lakewood with 90 people in 1959. Yeah. Today, 52 years later, we're a ministry that touches the world. And so I'm going to do my best to share some insights and principles that I've seen growing up and I trust that they're going to help you as well. The scripture says that iron sharpens iron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what the scripture says, but you wouldn't qualify as either iron or iron in that particular scenario. You see, because here's the deal. Plastic bananas do not sharpen iron. Just something I've noticed. We're going to help sharpen each other. So make plans to come. I believe God's put great dreams in your heart. Let me just... Really? Is that what... God's put great dreams in my heart. Wow. Hang on. Let me look in there. Yep. Not seeing anything. Hmm. You think he forgot? 
encourage you, the mission is not impossible. You're going to see God do amazing things. Sign up today for the International Pastors and Leadership Conference. We've got more room, more sessions, more seating, and more power than ever before. And more heresy than ever before. I want to see you in Orlando, Florida. The mission is not impossible. Yeah, you won't be seeing me there. Sorry, uh, I... (laughs) I just took a look inside my heart, didn't find any big dreams in there, so I know that Joel Osteen isn't telling me the truth. Again, you know, iron sharpens iron, absolutely true, but plastic bananas cannot sharpen iron. So that being the case, Joel Osteen really couldn't help me there. So, okay, uh, moving along. From the Do Not Be Surprised website, surprised.com. Headline reads, Gabe Lyons, Q, and Restoring Cultures? Yeah, uh, this is kind of... It's written by Erin Benziger, by the way. Uh, She runs the Do Not Be Surprised uh, weblog, which obviously means that she lives in her mother's basement somewhere. But, um, poor thing, we we need to send her a care package of some Cheetos and maybe some Mountain Dew. But, um, anyway, this is the, the topic she's writing on is one that it needs to be addressed. And what I mean by that is, is that we got some weird language floating around in mainstream evangelicals. And I'm not talking about the kind of stuff we see from Patricia King or from Joel Osteen. Uh, it's more along the lines of what we see from guys like Gabe Lyons and um, Frank Viola and folks like that. And so... Um, Here's what uh, Aaron Benziger writes. She says, in mid-April, while many Christians earnestly scan the Twitter stream and their favorite blogs for sound bites and one-liners from the Together for the Gospel conference, another gathering was taking place several cities away in Washington, D.C. Running from the 10th through the 12th of April, this gathering was known as the Q conference. And the eager T4G spotter would do well to perhaps pay even more attention to this particular event. The Q Conference, by the way, is the brainchild of Gabe Lyons, who also helped co-found the Catalyst Movement several years ago. Lyons is also the author of the popular Christian, uh, sorry, popular books, Unchristian, The Next Christians, and the Q website. Quote, listen to this, Q was birthed... <laughs> I can't even take this language seriously anymore. Q was birthed out of Gabe Lyons' vision to see Christians, especially leaders, recover a vision for their historic responsibility to renew and restore cultures. Huh? What on earth does it mean to renew and restore cultures? And when was that a Christian historical mandate? Anyway, inspired by Chuck Colson's statement, quote, Christians are called to redeem entire cultures, not just individuals. Gabe sent out to reintroduce Christians to what had seemed missing in recent decades from an American expression of Christian faithfulness, valuing both personal and cultural renewal, not one over the other, re-educating Christians to this orthodox and unifying concept has become central to the vision of Q. We believe that it inherent in Christian faithfulness is the responsibility to create a better world, one that reflects God's original design and intention. Okay, folks, um, yeah, I, plain and simple. The Christian mandate, the, um, the Great Commission, nothing in there, nothing in there is implied 
or overtly expressed regarding the need to um, make the world a better place. Yeah, that's not our responsibility. Um, That's not what we're called to do. In fact, this language is a little bit weird. And let me see if I can point it out to you here. To renew and restore cultures. Okay. Is a culture an entity? Think of it this way. I mean, seriously, okay? This is weird language. And the reason I say it is because when we think about who exists on planet Earth, well, there's people, okay? And people collectively can be narrowed down to persons, okay? Uh, That being the case is that, okay, I'm not called to redeem a culture because a culture isn't a living, breathing, organic thing, A culture isn't the sinner. The people within the culture are sinners whom Christ died for. Their individual names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The culture in which they live wasn't redeemed by Jesus. Their culture wasn't died for by Jesus. The individual sinners were, but their culture wasn't. The culture isn't the organic thing. The individual peoples are. You get what I'm saying here? So we've got a problem here. The the statement to redeem cultures, it well, aside from being nonsensical, um, it's not biblical. It, there's no mandate in Scripture for such a thing. But on top of it, it shifts the focus away from individual sinners whom Christ died for to somehow turning the collective into the entity. And the collective isn't the entity, is it? Okay? Jesus didn't die for culture X, Y, or Z, or subculture this. Jesus didn't die for the the cowboy subculture in Texas. Maybe that's not a subculture. Maybe that is the culture. Sorry, all you Texans out there. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I was not trying to offend you by implying that the cowboy culture was a subculture. I should recognize that is the culture. But you understand what I'm saying. Jesus didn't die for the cowboy culture in Texas. Um, and, you know, it that doesn't make any sense. Jesus didn't die for the uh, the Chinese-American culture uh, that, that, that lives in Chinatown in San Francisco. He didn't die for that culture. Jesus bled and died for each and every individual human being who live in those cultures, but he didn't die for the culture. So we're to call people in all cultures, all nations, to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus' name. So trust in Christ, repentance and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Christ didn't redeem cultures. He redeemed individual sinners. You get, you get what I'm saying here? So there, there's something way, way, way off here because the culture isn't the organic living thing, is it? Benziger continues. She says, The claim that Christians have a historic responsibility to renew and restore cultures is not supported by Scripture. The Q website also does not offer any Scripture in defense of the claim that inherent in Christian faithfulness is the responsibility to create a better world. Nope, that's not what Jesus... Uh, yeah, she's right. Nowhere in Scripture did Jesus say, you know, uh, go out and make the world a better place. Uh, the, you know, the Christian message is not, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. That's not the Christian message. 
The Christian message is repent of your sinfulness and your wickedness and be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. Way different. Now, it might be that you know the gospel message converts a critical mass of individual human beings in a particular culture so much so that the fruit of the Spirit that is produced by those Christians has a positive impact on their immediate culture. Absolutely, that's the case. But that's not because Christ redeemed cultures. It's because what happens in a situation like that is that the fruit of the Spirit produced by Christ in these people, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you get what's going on there. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit that's produced ends up having an effect in such a way that it has a positive impact on the culture. Okay, let me give you some examples here, okay? Uh, The world that Jesus came into, okay, 2,000 years ago, was filled with all kinds of slavery. Slavery was a vital part of the economy here. But what happened is, as a result of of the critical mass of Christians in Christian culture, um, everywhere where Christianity has really taken root, we've seen active fights against and many times victories against the idea of human trafficking and human slavery, okay? That's not because Christ redeemed culture, but because there's a critical mass of enough people who've been brought to repentance and regenerated and reborn through the preaching of the gospel that the fruit that they are that is being produced, the fruit of the Holy Spirit produced in their lives is, is reaching a critical mass to where it's rushing back and pushing back these gross and egregious sins that uh, humans have engaged in over the years. So you, you get what I'm saying? So, I mean, but to say that, you know, that it's historically our responsibility to redeem culture, eh, that's weird. Because, again, it turns the culture into the organic thing, and the culture is not the thing that Christ redeemed. You, you get what I'm saying here? So let's see here. So um, so he didn't offer any, they, the Q website doesn't offer any scripture in defense of the claim that the inherent Christian faithfulness is a responsibility to create a, a better world, one that reflects God's original design and intention. If the responsibility of the Christian was to renew and restore cultures, one would expect that there would have been more such activity recorded in the New Testament. Yeah, I, I don't see any um, culture restoration or renewal going on as part of the mission of the church in the book of Acts. I mean, Maybe I missed it. Yeah, maybe it's in the uh, in the thirty seventh chapter of Acts. It just didn't quite make it to the Bible. Anyway, yet rather than reading of the apostles' endeavors to make the world a better place, we see them preaching repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone for individual salvation. Absolutely true. It is stated above that Lyons was initially inspired by Chuck Colson's statement that Christians are called to redeem entire cultures, not individuals. This grievous. Uh, error in their statements uh, work together to create confusion. Christians are not called to redeem anybody. This is uh, see, this is the other part of that that's actually brilliant. That's right. You and I, we ain't called to redeem nobody. It's true. So rather, believers have been called by God to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Christians are faithful to this mission, God works to draw some by the power of his Holy Spirit into a saving relationship with him, thus redeeming the individual from his lost and sinful state. Uh, The faithful believer, however, is not responsible for such redemption. Indeed, if man cannot save and redeem himself from his own sin, how can he expect to do so for others? Only Christ saves. 
Only Christ can offer redemption. While it is clear that Christians are not called to redeem other individuals, it should also be noted that Scripture does not call Christians to redeem entire cultures. In fact, we're actually called to present, you know, to preach the message of reconciliation. We don't do the reconciling work. We announce what God has done in reconciling and redeeming. So true eternal redemption happens at the level of the individual and is wrought by God alone. Thus, this statement upon which the foundation of Gabe Lyons' Q conference was built is erroneous and therefore hopelessly unsupportive. There's more to this uh, particular blog post. If you would like to read it, you can find it at do not be surprised.com. Do not be surprised.com. So, Again, she makes a great point, and that is, is that Christians are not called to redeem anything. It's Christ who redeems, and he has done the redemptive work on the cross. It's finished. It's done. And Christ redeemed, died for individual sinners, not collective cultures. Okay, The culture, when you, when you the way Gabe Lyons is using the culture here is somehow turning the culture into the organic living thing. It's not. The, the culture, your culture, your community, that ain't organic and living. What's organic and living are the people within the culture. So, yeah, see, yeah, I think she kind of keyed in on this. There's a problem here. It's a, it's a tacit denial of individual salvation, a slap at it, and a change in language that somehow turns the culture or the community into the organic living thing, and it isn't. That is a false and pagan idea. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Sermon review, it's based on a circus theme. Not going to want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. All right, so the good news is it's um, not an Easter sermon. <laughs> Bad news is it's not a good sermon. And uh, we'll get to our Experiencing God series a little bit later in the week here. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, <clears throat> circus comes to us via Northridge Church in Plymouth, Michigan. Brad Powell presiding. The name of the uh, um, presentation is Family Circus, All the World's a Circus. Yeah, they're the... Uh, Second church to follow suit in this whole circus theme, and well, it begins with a creepy circus video that then turns into um, a circus show. And just to delight your ears, I will let you hear all of the above. So, um, with that, let me um, kill the music. And here is, uh, well, it doesn't get to Brad Powell for a few minutes, but shortly you'll be hearing Brad Powell from um, Northridge Church talking about the family circus and how the whole world's a circus. But it begins first with an entire circus production. Here we go. So what you can't see is there's a girl walking through the forest and there's circusy type people who keep pointing her towards a particular direction. There's a woman spinning from a ring, pointing a woman with a monkey, a girl with a zebra, and there's a guy on stilts juggling. Oh, it's the circus. Yay, everybody loves the circus. So let's bring it to church. It's a kid with sword down his throat and mimes I hate mimes by the way this is a sermon this is the kickoff for the sermon And now coming on stage are a couple of girls who look like they're in elementary school. They're sitting at a table. Hi, honey. How 
was your day? Oh, just peachy. And mom and dad just came in. Did you get the milk? Milk? Why do I always have to get the stuff, the milk? How many times have I told you not to leave your dirty backpack on the table? Hi, girls. Hello? Hello? Why don't you listen to me? Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the family circus. And by the way, this is a church service. So apparently the family has been rescued by a circus. Just in the nick of time, too. So you got a guy on stilts and a clown with a weird puppet. Some woman just walked in spinning plates on a stick. Not too well at that. And there's the bearded woman. Uh, what would a circus be like without the bearded woman? And there's another clown. She's taking photographs. And there's a kid juggling. Oh, it's just fun and frivolity everywhere. Church will never be the same. And there's a dog dressed like a lion. Poor dog. And now we got a ballerina with clown makeup on. Creepy. And they just took a photograph of the family. Uh, hey, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for and being here. And here's Brad Powell. I don't know. I've got, this, I've got this weird feeling that I want peanuts right now for some reason. I can't. He wants to, uh, we should have the ushers delivering out peanuts and cracking shells. That'd be awesome. But if, whether you're a first-time guest, and I'm sure this is certainly true of you, or, or a regular attender here, you're probably thinking, can the church sink to an even greater low than that? Don't ask that question because there's some you know, enterprising, innovative, seeker-driven guy out there working on the problem right now. And uh, he's going to come up with the ultimate solution. <laughs> they will sink lower. I mean, especially if you're a first-time guest, you're going, really? This is a church? No, it's not. This is nuts. This is what's wrong with our world. <laughs> right, exactly. The, the truth is that this whole circus environment is meant to allow us to step into a metaphor, a picture that will help us to understand why relationships are so difficult. Because let's be oh, so this is a metaphor that we're stepping into, kind of, kind of holodeck style. You know, we're going to step into the holodeck here and and experience the immersive metaphor, so that we can talk about why relationships are so difficult. Right. Rather than you know, opening up the Bible and teaching it in context. We're going to step into a psychological self-help category of how to make your family better. Honest, the, the circus provides a very interesting world. The circus is a world that is a very crazy environment. Now, the people in the circus are absolutely valuable. They matter to God. They should matter to us. There are some unbelievably talented people in the circus. But come on. I mean... It is a bizarre environment, that circus. How many places can you go where they're advertising, you know, buy your tickets here to see the bearded lady? I mean, this is a, 
a very bizarre, crazy world, very kind of difficult world to build any kind of a stable life in, as you would find out if you researched it. And the honest truth is that's just like our world. We live in a crazy world. It's nuts. It's upside down. And it's an environment that makes it very difficult to build relationships in. Relationships are not the easiest thing to build anyway. Remove all the strange environment. And then you add the environment of our culture and you realize, wow, it is so tough to build long-term, intimate, genuinely loving, life-enhancing, life-enlarging relationships in this crazy, circus-like world that we live in. Wow, yeah. I hope you got us uh, an easy solution. You got three easy applications in which I can just, you know, make my relationships that much easier to build in this crazy circus-like world. Oh, man. So I thought it'd be important as we begin this series, The Family Circus, and we kind of define out why it's so difficult to do relationships along the way, especially the intimate relationships of marriage and family to understand our culture a little bit better, to look into the problem so that we can figure out why relationships have become so much more difficult. Can't wait. I, I wonder how much of this is going to be as a result of our fallen sinful nature. And, and then, you know, then there, the solution being a crucified and risen Lord, you know, things like that. I'll give you some statistics, and I just want to give you a couple of caveats on the front end here. If you're a guest, I am not one of these teachers that gets up and lists out statistic after statistic after statistic. Usually, we teach out of life. We, we talk about God's truth in, an, in a conversational way. But I believe sometimes it's important to look at the reality that we're experiencing in this world statistically. And so I'm going to do some of that today in general form. And I want you to know, I'm not staking my integrity on the absolute perfection of these statistics. We've done the best we can at figuring out where our world is at in certain ways, and it'll help us to understand the problems we face. Secondly, I, I want you to know that I'm aware that not everyone here is in a traditional family. Not everyone here is married nor wants to be married, and uh, our single population is very large here and growing. And so I've had some tweets actually this week where they said, you know, I'm just not sure. I like your teaching, but I, this family circus thing doesn't sound like it's for me. It's not relevant. I want you to know, it doesn't matter what circumstance you're in relationally. Relationships are still a crucial factor of life. You have to have relationships in life. Now, we're going to concentrate on and use as our clear and specific direction the issue of family, the family circus, because if God's principles can work in the unbelievably anxious-ridden, difficult relationship of marriage, this okay. Notice, I just want to you know highlight something he said about it, you know, thirty, forty seconds ago, and that is, is that he was receiving tweets from people at the church saying, "I don't know if this family circus thing is for me. It's not relevant to me." <laughs> Well, you live by relevance, you die by relevance. We're trying to be relevant here. We've got to be relevant. And so he's making an apologetic for why, even if you're not in a long-term relationship, this family circus um, lecture is uh, relevant to you. So he's up front, he's having to defend, explain the relevance of this that may not be apparent to everybody because they may not be in a long-term relationship or want to be. And so this family circus thing, you know, on the surface just isn't relevant to them and they just don't know. Boy, well, that's quite the, uh, um, well, attitude that's being fostered there at a church, don't you think? We continue. 
intimate incubator of relationships, if it can work in the context of a family where different personalities and unique expressions of humanity are forged into one environment and have to survive there, they can work anywhere. So if, if you're a single and you're saying family circus doesn't sound like it's relevant to me, take the principles that we talk about in these relationship talks and apply them to your relationships because you have them. I believe it can be extremely relevant for you understanding your past, understanding your future, dealing with your present. So here are some of the realities that we experience in our culture that, that makes it such a crazy environment for doing relationships. The, the first is this. It, it's, it's tough to meet people in this world of ours. It's tough to even begin relationships. And, and all you have to know about relationships is it takes two people connecting. And when you're in a world where it's really tough to meet, tough to connect, it's really tough to build relationships. And that's why there's so many lonely people in this world trying to figure out how can I meet people, how can I get to know someone. And the truth is we live in a culture that has grown in its isolation. We isolate from one another. Look at how we design our, our, our workplace settings. You can be with a ton of people, but we still design our workplace settings to be isolated, to be separate out. Look at how we design our living arrangements. I mean, suburbia is a real example of how isolated we are. In a suburban setting, they try and build their garages so they don't, don't face each other. And then you drive in, open the door electronically, and then you close it before you get out of your car. Talk about isolating from one another. It's a very difficult place to meet each other. And this explains why 40 million Americans, last stats I could find, 40 million Americans are using online dating services. I mean, 40% of the single adult population is trying to meet someone online. Nothing wrong with this. There's no judgment. It's just so difficult to meet people. There are so few natural settings. We're so isolated from one another that people are looking for any way they can to meet someone. And so they'll even do it online. And it's working for some people, but it's tough. Now, another reality about our crazy environment is that we live in a surface-oriented culture very superficial. We make judgments about each other very quickly. In fact, according to the statistics I got, do you realize it's a little different for men and women, but it's, it's still threatening as it relates to really getting to know someone in a deep way? Men, when you meet a woman or you're introduced to a woman, they say you have no more than an hour to make your first impression and then it's done. So you better get a good hour's worth of material up before you meet these women. I mean, because I'm telling you, you've got one hour to make an impression or else you're gone. You're written off. All right? Now, I believe it's, this is horrible for women because women, you don't have that long. When you are introduced into uh, a, a guy's life, you have, according to these stats, 15 minutes to make a first impression or else you're written off. The good news is you don't have to write an hour's worth of material. Uh, the bad news is 15 minutes. And quite frankly, I think if we're being honest, you don't have 15 minutes. I mean, really, you don't have an hour, guys. It's like we are so superficial in our judgments. Now, can I juxtapose this in a way that creates the tension that exists in our world as it relates to relationships? There are 88%. You know, here, here's the weird thing. Um, boy, um... I can hear Oprah's voice covering this topic. I mean, don't you think Oprah might cover this just a little bit better than Brad Powell? I mean, seriously, set your DVR to the next time Oprah or Dr. Phil is covering, you know, the challenges of meeting people in our 
in our isolated society and you know and 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 you, you get testimonials from people who've you know overcome those particular challenges i mean why do i need to go to church to hear this isn't the goal of church really all about making disciples um do you think jesus sat down with his disciples and said okay guys let, let's uh, walk through this next um uh, you know, core curriculum that I need you all to cover here, and that is, you know, the challenges of, uh, of you know, of the craziness of relationships and, you know, how to overcome things like that. So here's the part where, you know, if you're going to be a good Christ follower, you need to be doing it this way, you know. Not at all. I mean, you're not going <laughs> ay, 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 this is painful. Let's continue. Young single adults, 20 to 29, 88% who really do believe that they are they have a soulmate out there just waiting for them looking for them that they're looking for 88%. Now I know a lot of people have written off the whole soulmate thing. I'm not even talking about whether this is true or not. But 88% of 20 to 29 year old single adults believe they have a soulmate out there. Well, let me just tell you something. If you do have a soulmate out there, you're never going to find them if you only give them 15 minutes. It takes a little bit longer to figure out what lies underneath. It's just crazy. So most people are missing their soulmates, if it's even a true reality, because of this superficial world. It's tough to build relationships in this world of ours. It gets worse because in order to build a relationship, you really do have to pay attention to each other. In order to build a relationship, you have to, you have to focus on each other. This is why very often the best times in a relationship are when you're first meeting and dating. But as you elongate that relationship for any amount of time, you tend to give less and less attention. Your attention gets stolen away by other things, and so relationships start crumbling. If you're going to build a deep and satisfying relationship, it takes attention. Problem with our culture? There's too much grabbing for our attention. There's so much competition for our attention. I'm just going to throw out a couple of examples. You know these things, but, but think about how it grabs at your attention and how difficult it becomes then to build relationships as a result. YouTube is a video service on, online. I'd be curious, how many of you have ever seen a YouTube video of any kind? Okay? Almost every one of you. I get it. And YouTube is just one video service online. But did you know every single day, YouTube has two billion videos viewed every day people are on looking at video and then there's vimeo and there's all these other things then you add to that facebook twitter hulu netflix blogs that you can read online all kinds of news services online you add to that video games online video gaming or just you know private video gaming and then you add to that and this is just media attention grabbing junk you add to that there are some people i've heard this i don't know if it's true but i have heard that some people still watch regular television is that true and so you oh, and then you got people who listen to you know pirate Christian radio. You add all of this stuff that's just media relevant, and you think, how do people ever spend time together? And it's age-related stuff. There are things for kids and things for adults and things for women and things for men and things for this, things for that. And people are always having their attention grabbed. It makes it very tough to do relationships, but it gets worse. Because we live in a world where there is such a distorted and dysfunctional view and understanding and practice of sex and sexuality. And you have to realize that in every relationship, I mean... And how much do you want to bet the Bible talks about that, the root of that problem being our corrupted, sinful, and fallen nature? 
And the solution is a crucified and risen Lord. How much you want to bet? How much you want to bet? How much you want to bet? We come as as sexual beings. We we are sexual. And the distortion and dysfunction of how we see it, how we understand it, how we see ourselves, how we understand ourselves, really kind of inserts itself into building of relationships. And it really has messed with the whole process in every avenue. And there are so many ways I could go with this, but I just want to show you how prevalent and inescapable the distortion and dysfunction is so you can realize, whoa, no wonder it's so hard to meet someone who has an interest in me. Ay, 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 ay. Um, boy, yeah, by the way, we are 14 minutes in. God's word has not made an appearance yet. Jesus hasn't made a cameo here Um, in this <laughs> completely off-topic so-called sermon. No wonder it's so hard to raise kids in this world. No wonder it's so difficult to keep people, you know, focusing on the right kind of things. In our, and once again, these stats aren't perfect, I'm sure, because it's changing every second. But the last I could get is that there are 4.2 million pornographic websites online, which represents 12% of all websites out there. And this is recent. I mean, it's like 12% of all websites are... You know, again, I come to my statistic. 100% of everybody living right now is a sinner, dead, you know, born dead in trespasses and sins in need of a savior. 100%. Now, I'm not trying to discount the problem of visual adultery or anything like that. It truly is a sin, and it's a pernicious sin that Christ died for. Pornographic in nature. It, it gets worse. Every single day, you know, people use Google and Yahoo and are doing internet searches. Do you know that 25% of all internet searches are pornographic in nature? 25%. That's about 68 million daily porn searches going on the internet. You used to have to go to a seedy part of town. You had to wear Groucho Marx glasses and beard and stuff and, you know, get a brown bag and, you know, come home and hide it in your drawer or under your mattress. I only know because people like you told me this. And, um, <laughs> and, and it's like you had it. You, you had, and now 68 million everyday searches, 25% of all searches. Every day, 2.5 billion pornographic emails whether soliciting or marketing or presenting, are sent every single day. That's 8% of all emails are pornographic in nature. Here's my point. You have to be intentional, and you have to work very hard to avoid this distorted, dysfunctional, destructive sense of sexuality. You have to intentionally avoid it, work hard at it, and here's the fact. Most people are neither intentional nor working hard to avoid it. It's distorting the world. And you want to know where it really enters into the fray? Yes, as we deal with one another, you know, in any relationship setting, try to build an intimate relationship, it's there. But here's where it really gets sad. We're trying to help our young people build an understanding of what relationships are like and how to build them and how to build them right and how to know satisfying relationships. But the average age of first exposure to pornographic material is 11 years old. And so how are they going to have the right view of another person, of themselves, of what relationships are about when this is what's driving them? It's crazy. 
it makes sexual understanding tough. It makes sexual sense and self-perception tough. It makes sexual purity tough. And it makes faithfulness very rare. Our world generally... You do realize that these stats would pretty much be the same (laughs) even if there were no porn websites. The problem is our sinful nature and our rebellion against God. What you're describing are the symptoms of the disease that we all inherited from Adam and Eve. Sees sexual practices and experience and expression as something that is no longer reserved for marriage between a man and woman. That's just irrelevant in our culture these days. And it makes building a positive relationship, a functional relationship, even harder. And you need to know there are all kinds of fallouts to this kind of junk in our sexual distortion and dysfunction. It makes relationships even more crazy difficult. Think about it this way. Every single year, nearly 500,000 teenagers give birth to a baby. Now, they give birth to a baby, unwed teenagers. Now, I'm not talking about the 1.2 million abortions that happen every year. That's a whole other tragedy. It, it creates all kinds of emotional disruption in the lives of people, which makes it hard to build relationships and all that. But I'm, I'm, that's not where I'm going with this. Every year, 500,000 teenagers out of wedlock give birth to a baby. Think about how hard it is to find a significant, intimate, long-term marriage relationship when you don't have the baggage of already having to be a teenage mommy. Think about how hard it is. Think about how hard it is to build a family when you've built it in an orderly way instead of an accidental way. Think about it. It makes it crazy difficult in this world. And this isn't about judging these teenagers. It's not even the point of this. It's talking about how difficult it is to do relationships when you're caught in this cultural expression. Another issue, we fall out from our view of sexuality, is there's a relational commitment problem. Relational commitment is plummeting in our world. Living together outside of the context of marriage in a sexual relationship is becoming more and more the norm. In fact, 65% of everyone who gets married now lives together first. 65%. And I know this impacts people here. And this isn't right now. I'm not trying to bloody your noses. I'm not trying to... I'm trying to talk about the reality of our world and how it makes building the right kind of relationships even more difficult. Because the truth is, secular research has been done. This isn't my own personal, you know, slanted, subjective research. Notice how he said, I'm not trying to bloody your noses. The job of the pastor here is to preach the word. Law and gospel. So why aren't you confronting them with their sin. This is church. God has some kind of a say in all of this, and his word is clear. The people whom you are describing are people who have transgressed his holy law. They are dead in trespasses and sins, and they need to be brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins because these sins that they've committed Make them liable to the judgment and the wrath of God. And and you're just going to sugarcoat this? I mean, at the end of this, are you going to basically say, you know, listen, you know, we know how difficult it is, you know, because you've been affected by the culture and, and stuff like that. And yeah, you, I'm not trying to bloody your nose here. So what you, here's some tips on how you can do the right thing in your relationships. Are you going to skip over the cross? Act like it doesn't exist? 
The job of the pastor is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. That's Jesus' command. Look up Luke 24 if you're, you're confused about that. Jesus tells the disciples, go into all the world and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. I'm not hearing repentance, let alone re- forgiveness of sins. I'm hearing pop psychology, wringing of the hands, oh, this is a terrible situation, psychobabble. Secular research has been done that has proven that people who live together before they get married are far more likely to get divorced. Now, you you live together to make sure you're buying the right product, but the problem is it doesn't work that way. When you enter marriage, and and uh, when you enter marriage having already lived as married prior to that commitment, you, there is a greater likelihood that you'll be divorced. But most people who choose to live together, in spite of what they tell each other, oh yeah, we'll probably get married someday. Oh yeah, most don't get married. And within five years, seventy-nine percent, almost eighty percent of everyone who lives together within five years are uh, split up and with other people. It makes it very difficult to do relationships. And it goes further. The divorce rate is skyrocketing. Uh, New marriages to divorces is two to one. For every two new marriages, there's one divorce in our culture these days. And this is where I want you to see the family circus aspect of this. We're trying to raise up kids to do the most important thing in the world, to have relationships. And yet, this lack of commitment, this lack of morality is creating such devastation that it makes harder for kids to experience relationships. Know this, that when a a child of divorce gets married and let's say they're a child of divorce but they're marrying someone that wasn't a child of divorce so one knows divorce firsthand the other doesn't they're 59% more likely to get divorced than a person that wasn't in that environment growing up but get this one if both are children of divorce when they get married and this is the vast majority if both are children of divorce they have 189% increase in their divorce rate and this isn't about condemning and judging and making you feel guilty and dark this is about telling you it's a very crazy environment we're trying to do relationships in and it makes it very tough Uh, we have a single population that's growing for the very first time in american history that i could figure out and understand the population of unmarried women will soon surpass the population of married women Ah, that's craziness. Now, I know that many of you are single by choice. That's awesome. That's great. There's nothing wrong with being single by choice. But the truth is many aren't single by choice. They're single because they can't find any way around it. And there's so much loneliness and so much despair in the relational world because it's just tough to find someone. It is crazy to do relationships in this world. The general environment of our culture does not enhance and positively support family relationships, marriages, or relationships of any kind. And this is true for all of us. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. Many of you are saying, I got out of bed for this. Yeah, I'm doing radio, playing this. I, I'd, probably have, I'd probably get closer to God while playing video games than listening to this. Nothing like a little encouragement on a beautiful weekend where I could have been voting or something, you know? I I get it. A lot of you are probably thinking, I'm going to have to leave here and go watch Joel Osteen just to get encouraged. (laughs) I I get it. 
But here's what I need you to know. I believe giving all the beautiful answers that God has given us without understanding the problems causes us to hear and to enjoy but not to apply because we don't know the problem. And, and this series will be absolutely worthless to any of us who hear the answers, enjoy the answers, but don't apply the answers. And the only way you're going to apply the answers if you know the problems relationships are tough anyway you had the crazy environment that we're in and it becomes crazy difficult but here's the reality I want you to see I'm gonna try and do just a little bit of positive uptake here now ready here's the reality our crazy confusing messed up world makes healthy families and healthy relationships at any level more difficult but get this one but they're still doable you can still have the right kind of relationships. You can still build the right kind of relationships. We can still experience the promises of God as it relates to relationships. We really can. But not doing it our way, not by following the crazy, valueless expressions of our culture, but by doing it God's way, we can. And so this is where we come to the truth. And this is where you can reach into your programs and pull out this. For those of you who may be guests or watching online, this is an outline. And we haven't had these for a year here, and most of our people have had strokes, panic attacks, anxiety written. Okay. So here he set up the problem. Everything he's described is a result of our sin. Now, this is why yesterday, for our light edition, I played Pastor Hodel's lecture on understanding law and gospel, okay? Now, what's the solution that he's going to present? This guy, uh, Brad Powell, what's the solution he's going to present? Is it, here's what God demands, now get busy and keep these commands because this is the only way that you're going to have a healthy relationship. So here's the law, this is the standard, now start living according to it. That's law, okay? Here's the problem, is, is what he's done is he's already preached law and preached, well, the consequences of our sin, the result of our sinful nature and rebellion. Everything he's described is sinful. Do you think the cross has any anything to offer here? You know, it, I'm, I'm, I, this is a great question because at this point, We've got the problem queued up, and it's all the result of sin. If the solution doesn't involve, at its core, at its center, a crucified and risen Savior who died on the cross to, for the sins of the world, then basically all this guy is going to be doing is preaching law, not gospel. Let's see what he does. Um, and so I've brought this back just for health, quite frankly. And But I... I I want you to know I thought it was relevant to this series, but this is no promise that forever outlines will be delivered during this series, yes. Series by series, we'll try. So do not become, once again, addicted to the outline. Because we'll have to re-up the 12-step, get off an outline program again for you, and we don't want to go there. All right, here's the truth. Creating and keeping healthy families and healthy relationships demands, it demands, they're doable, but it's tough. If we're going to do it, it demands walking against the prevailing winds of our culture. 
demands. That's law. Demands. Well, that's, yeah, true. But what are you going to, do you have any hope to offer to the people who've been walking with the culture, who've shown up at church and are looking to God here, wanting to know what does he think about what they've done? Our crazy world. It demands walking against the prevailing winds, the prevailing currents of our crazy world, of our crazy culture. God says it. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Would you stop? Okay, notice it, one of my pet peeves here. If you've listened to me for any length of time on this program, it is an absolute pet peeve of mine that seeker-driven churches seem to think that the book of Romans starts at chapter 12, verse 2. You think it would hurt them to spend a little bit of time in the first 11 chapters of Romans on a regular basis? I I mean, serious, because there the gospel's laid out for us. This great news that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, talking about how we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in the opening chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, lays out a far more effective and blistering description of what's going on in the world, and basically at the end of it argues that there's none righteous, no, not one, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? And then he preaches the gospel and tells us the good news of what Christ has done for us and how we are reckoned and you know, considered righteous before God, justified on account of what Christ has done. So here we're going to skip all of that, and we're, go, we're just going to, okay, folks, okay, you, you know, you're, you got bad relationships, and, you know, you, if you want to have a good one, then you then it demands that you, you know, walk against the prevailing winds of the culture, and let's look at Romans chapter 12, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, so you got you to gotta walk against the culture, see, that's your problem, you haven't been walking against it, so turn around and face the wind and start walking into it, being prevailed upon by the winds of our culture, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because when you prevail against, walk against the prevailing winds of our crazy world, when you allow God to transform you, to renew you, and set you in a new direction, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, good, pleasing, and perfect. You want to experience the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God as it relates to your life and relationships, there's only one way. You've got to intentionally choose to walk against the prevailing winds of our culture. Law. Not go with them. And here's the fact. Most of us, whether we call ourselves Jesus followers or not, whether we call ourselves committed Christians or not, most of us... Yeah, keep in mind that Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, in light of God's mercies... Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. See, the, the, the transition from the indicative to the imperative points us back to the, you know, to the indicative. All of this that he's talking about is in light of God's mercies, but he's taken that out. We're not hearing about God's mercies here yet. When you put Romans 12 in context, it points us back to the cross once again before it gets into these imperatives. These imperatives are the result, the fruit of our faith. Are being blown by the prevailing winds of our culture in the areas of relationships instead of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
adopting new standards of morality, adopting new ways of doing it, adopting new acceptable patterns of life because culture allows it. And though we think it's going to move us towards what we're looking for, fulfillment and relationship, it's moving us in the opposite direction, towards destruction. We have to walk against it. Great example that... Destruction, do you mean temporal or eternal? We live in a very tough generation. I think it's harder for kids today than it was when I was growing up and all that because of exposure and accessibility. Still, this has always been true, and the great example of this is Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, Israel was uh, taken and put into a different cultural setting, and God warned them. Look at just... I'll, quote a couple of verses out of Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 12. God says, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. I mean, make them part and parcel with who you are and what you believe, and then give them to your children and press them on your children. But when the Lord brings you into the land, into this different cultural experience where all these different peoples are, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Again, this is law. What, did, what have you done with the gospel? You have to intentionally decide that you are going to embrace his standards and his values and his truths to experience his freedom and fulfillment or else you'll... Yeah, but you've already described a whole bunch of people who haven't done that. Do you think the solution is just, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and apply these principles and then God will be happy with you? Where's the cross? These people have transgressed God's holy law. And you're just going to not even mention the fact that, oh yeah, <clears throat> what you've done is sin against God. And that has made you liable to the fires of hell. Repent and be forgiven. You're not going to say anything like that. You're just going to skip over the cross and just, oh, well, you know, we just we just need to apply these principles to our lives and, and so that we can clean up ourselves swept away it's always true so what I thought I would do we're going to really dig deep I hope into this relationship issue of uh, our lives marriage family and all relationships during the next six weeks but I thought we should have a big picture look at it in this introductory weekend so I want to give you principles for success in walking against the prevailing wind principles for success equals law that are making relationships so difficult in this world. Principles for success that God gives us. Here's the first one. You have to get the right picture. You have to. You have to. Law. So, you know, you're, you've been failing, but don't worry. Just apply these principles and then you can succeed. This isn't Christianity. This is self-help. Of relationships. You have to, you must have the right picture if you're going to be successful in living it. We're all working towards a picture. We are. And we need to get in our head a picture of what relationships should look like when they're working right. And I, this, this is important. I, when I got married, I had, no, I had no picture in my head of what a relationship was supposed to look like when it was working right. You just do it. You get married and there you go. And so I didn't have a... So the Bible teaches that we have to get the right picture in our head of what a good relationship looks like so that we can then work towards that picture? Really? ...picture to work towards. I didn't have anything to, to pattern after. And it really made life difficult for me and us in those early days. And I believe this is true of most of us. We just have relationships. We have friendships. We have workplace relationships. We have marriage. We have kids. Yeah, you just do it the best you can. No, you've got to have a picture of what it looks like when it's working right. And you need to know, Matthew 6.33 is the picture. 
God says, seek first God's kingdom. Jesus is talking, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And everything else you're struggling for in life will be given to you as well. I'm going to tell you the right... Now, so now we're ripping Matthew 6.33 out of context. The context here of Matthew 6.33 has to do with those people who are worried about what they're going to eat, where they're going to wear, and all that kind kind of stuff, showing that they do not trust God. Jesus then rebukes them and says, look at the grass of the field, right? Or look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and are you not more valuable than they? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, not your own, his. This is an allusion to the imputed righteousness that is given to us by faith in Christ. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Your heavenly father knows your needs and he will provide for you. That's the context here. This isn't about putting a picture in your mind about the perfect relationship and then working towards that picture. Picture for relationships is the right picture for life. You want to know what a life looks like when it's working right? A, a life is seeking God first when it's working right, and everything else is falling into its proper place. And this is a very different picture than most of our lives. Most of us seek everything else first, and God's tacked on somewhere. And same with relationships. You want to know what a, a marriage looks like when it's working right? Both individuals in the marriage. You want to know what dating looks like when it's working right? Both people involved in the relationship. You want to know what parenting looks like when it's working right? Both parents involved in the parenting process are seeking God first. And God's aligning everything else up in their life the way it's supposed to be. And then together they're seeking God first as a couple or as parents or as a dating relationship or as friends seeking God first and everything else is falling into its proper place now that's the right picture but that's not a picture I see very often in people's relationships I mean when when you look at any relationship in your life is the picture you and that person seeking God first and foremost or is it other things it's other things and yet this is the right picture. Look what how Psalm 127 says it. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 3. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. You can build all you want. You can work all you want. You can read all the how-to books you want. You can fight all you want. Get all the counseling you want. But unless the Lord builds the house, it's worthless. Sons are heritage from the Lord. Children are born. Unless the Lord builds the house. What you're describing has nothing to do with God building anything. It has everything to do with them building something. I, I, it's wild to me that he doesn't see the irony here. So in both marriage and family relationships, and in every relationship of all of our lives, if God is not the one we're pursuing first, it's worthless what we're pursuing. And we just have to get the right picture. If we're going to build the right kind of relationships, then we have to know. Once we establish the right picture, we have to establish the right direction. We have to establish the right direction. If you don't establish on the front end the right direction, you're going to go the wrong way. Once again, when Roxanne and I got married, I, direct, I don't know, you get married, don't you? And then you just play it by ear. Good luck. So now you do it, you have to, 
You have to establish the direction because every day by nature in this world that we live in, the winds are prevailing on us so much, they're confusing us so much, they're playing into our behavioral patterns so much that every day if we leave it to chance, if we leave it to nature, we're going to take the wrong step every day. If we're going to build the right kind of relationships, then in every level of relationship, we need to make sure that each step is taking us further towards the ultimate direction we're wanting to be, or else it's going to be devastating, which many of us know and experience. So what is the right direction? God tells us. In Ephesians 5, verse 21, God gives us the foundational principle for where every single one of us should be directed in our relationships. And then he then follows Ephesians 5.21 with the greatest, I think, one of the greatest relational passages in all of Scripture. But look what Ephesians 5.21 says. Submit. Now notice here, we're not getting Ephesians in context. Here we are at the tail end of Ephesians. It's as if Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4 don't exist. We're just going to skip all of that stuff and we're going to strip mine the Bible we, you know, that, all that stuff about Jesus and salvation by grace and all that theology stuff in the Bible, we're just going to wash that away with our high-powered water hose so that we can strip mine the Bible and get down to those application nuggets. Yeah, well, here's the deal. All of this is imperative without any indicatives. So submit one another out of reverence for Christ is, you know, Ephesians 5.21. And yet this is the most irreverent sermon that I've ever heard preached because Christ is ignored. How am I supposed to have reverence for Christ if I don't again hear what he has done for me? If I don't again see the magnitude of what Christ has done? I'm skipping Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4 and go right to 521 and ha submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, but I know nothing about Christ? This turns Jesus into a tyrant. All he's doing is demanding from me. But never are we allowed to hear what he's done for us. And yet scripture obsesses on the topic of what Christ has done for us. Because in understanding that, we then willingly submit out of reverence for Christ because we have true reverence for him because of what he's done. The gospel makes all of this possible. But here he's preaching these as if this is, these are laws and principles. You've got to apply these if you, if you want to have the best results. But we're going to apply them without Jesus, without any context of what he's done. Ephesians doesn't read like that. Read the first three chapters of Ephesians and tell me who Paul is obsessing about. Is he obsessing about giving you life tips so that you can have a successful marriage? Or is he obsessing again about preaching the gospel again to you? One another out of reverence for Christ. You know what the right direction for every relationship is? Mutual submission. Surrendering all of our rights and all of our benefits and all of our needs into that relationship. It works at the friendship level, workplace level, but it certainly works in marriage and in family. We literally submit to one another, mutually serve one another. That's the right direction. I don't know about you, but when I got married, my whole direction was to get her to do more for me. And her whole direction was to get me to do more for her. And there's no winning in that. If my goal is to get her serving me and her goal is to get me serving her, it's never going to work. 
But if both of us have the goal of submitting all of our rights and all of our opportunities and all of our dreams to serving one another, there you can meet and there you can be successful. But to do it, you have to walk against the winds of this culture because we are in a me culture, not a we culture. This is and the irony is this is nothing but a me sermon. I want better results. So this is all about me. It takes a different perspective. But again, I don't need a crucified and risen Savior for this. And yet God says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes through this whole passage in Ephesians 5. In, in Ephesians 5.22, he starts with one of the most common phrases that people have heard down through the generations about marriage. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That has been the most abused passage in all the Bible, I think, or one of them. It's nuts. And some of you husbands are going, oh, stay on that one a while, Brad. Submit to one another. And then God says, let me show you how it works. Wives, submit to your husbands, of course. If you're going to have a relationship, every, both have to submit to one another. So wives, of course, you have to submit to your You have to surrender your interests and your rights to try and lift up and encourage your husband. But then look at Ephesians 5.25. He says, husbands, submit to your wives. Now, if you read that, you're going to go, no, he doesn't. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah. You see, just to say simply, husbands, submit to your wife wasn't good enough. So he said, because this doesn't come naturally for you men, I am going to hold you to a higher standard and paint a bigger picture of submission for you than I am for the women. Because there is never a greater act of submission ever recorded in all of history than the act of submission of Jesus Christ coming and dying for us. Okay, now we're steering into the gospel. I wasn't. I was afraid we weren't going to get there. Can you can you hang out here for a while and really unpack this, please? Because otherwise, this is all law. He submitted the rights of his divinity. He submitted the rights of his life. He submitted the rights of his perfection. He submitted the rights of his power. He submitted all of his authority, and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Right? To serve you, to serve me, to give us the hope of redemption, the hope of forgiveness, the hope of heaven. Little watered down, it's to get, he, he did redeem us. It's more than just a hope. He is the greatest submitter in the history of this world. Here's the problem. Jesus' crucifixion and his incarnation is only being used here as, well, an example. And it's much more than that. And this is what God says to husbands. Husbands, this submit to one another thing means you too. Submit to your wives to the same degree that Jesus submitted himself to the redemption of this world. So what's the secret? What's the direction of relationship? Submit to one another. Why? So let's spend a lot of time looking at what Jesus did so we can really, really unpack that. That means we're going to have to preach through probably all of the Gospels in the next few weeks, right? So we can really get what that looks like. To husbands, husbands to wives. And when you do, you're going to be building a relationship. When you don't, you're going to be destroying it. Can I ask you a question? Are you headed in the right direction? I, I, just so you know, the passage goes on, and in Ephesians 6.1, it says, just as wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children's to parents, children to parents, children's or children, whichever you prefer, um, depends on if you went to school or not, but 
children to parents. Look at Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It's simply saying, submit to one You want a healthy relationship? You have to submit to one another. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives. And by the way, you want a healthy family? You have to submit to one another. Children to parents. But it's not just children to parents. See, marriage has been corrupted by the idea that one partner is to submit to the other, but the other has no responsibility to submit. That's a bunch of crap. But families have been built upon the same thing. Families have been built on the idea that children are submit to parents, but parents aren't to submit to children. But that's not true. You have to submit yourselves to one another. That's why in Ephesians 6.1 he says, Children, submit to your parents. Obey your parents. But look at Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. But rather, bring them up in the instruction, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yeah, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. In other words, go to a church where God's Word is actually preached and taught in context. The full counsel of the Word of God is, well, intentionally dealt with on a yearly basis. You understand what I'm saying? What he's saying there is, fathers, you have to submit to your children. You can't manipulate the circumstance and get them just serving your interests. It's not about you. You need to realize you need to invest yourself to their needs. Submit yourself to their needs like Jesus did. This is what it means, by the way, to love and serve your neighbor in vocation. Mars. Now, by exasperating, that's saying never tell them no and don't let them throw a tantrum and all that different stuff. It's saying don't exasperate them by living your life without submitting to their needs if you're a parent. Their need for discipline, their need for authority, their need for love, their need for attention. And yet the family is, is being destroyed by the prevailing winds of our culture. So what's the right direction in marriage, in family, in all relationships? Submit to one another. Think about your work relationships. You're submitting to one another. Think about your marriage relationships. The thing that's really frustrating here is that, you know, like I said, he's strip mining the Bible here. And even the little gospel flake that we got here, you know, it's it's only example. It's uh. submitting to one another. Think about your friendship, submitting to one another. That's the right direction. And every day we need to get up and take a step into that instead of away from that. And let me give you a practical idea that's really helped me. Uh, I think you could create a direction statement or a purpose statement for every one of your relationships. Oh, man. Yeah, that'll solve it. Yeah, just, just write a purpose statement. That helps you to keep in mind the right direction. And I do this. It's in my prayer journal. I, about 15 years ago, I wrote a purpose statement for my relationship with Roxanne. I have one for all my relationships. But my one with Roxanne that I can checkpoint the direction I'm heading in my relationship with her. And here's... So he has a purpose-driven relationship because he's identi- he has a vision and purpose statement for his relationship. Sounds like a business partnership. My purpose statement for Roxanne's relationship and mine. To be the perfect complement for Roxanne, helping her to be better, stronger, and more fulfilled in every area of her life. Now I want you to notice it's not saying my purpose is to figure out how she can make my life better. My purpose is to be the perfect complement to her to make her better, stronger, and more fulfilled in every area of her life. Am I perfect at it? Absolutely not. Otherwise, I'd have her up on the platform telling you the story. As it is, we've locked her out of the building. Um, (laughs) She's outside the building, locked out with Jesus. He's locked out, too. Not perfect at it. Someday she would have a very hard time believing that I even ever wrote anything close to this. 
But this helps me to test myself against how I'm being driven by the prevailing winds of our world. You should do it if you want the right kind of relationships. What else? If we're going to have uh, success in our relationships, walk against the prevailing winds, we need to develop the right strategy. It takes a plan. It takes a strategy, a workable strategy. I mean, you just can't do it by the seat of your pants. God gave us one. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, and we'll be back to this text during... So Deuteronomy, the Mosaic law, this gives us the strategy. Serious. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Put God first. That's, how, that's the right picture. And because they don't, you, you do understand that it's not just if you, you, know, you need to apply the strategy... If you're going to live by the law, you got to continue to do everything written in the law. You're actually putting these people under a curse at this point. Where's Christ? The commandments I've given you, live them. And then give them to your children and press them on your children. And then here's the strategy. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. I mean, make these a part of every aspect of your life. Let me give you a practical game plan. You want to have a strategy? If you're going to build relationships in a world where we isolate from one another, where it's tough to connect, where the tension competition problem is just killing us, where we have distorted dysfunctional views, why you want to, you want to have a strategy where you can help each other seek God first and everything else be come in the right place, where you can be submitting to one another? Here's a strategy. Make sure that by strategy you calendar, you schedule one-on-one time with the people that you're in relationship with. Well, that's practical. Yeah, I get that from Oprah. You know, many married... You know, I can't, what I can't get from Oprah or Dr. Phil is Christ. Yeah, I can't get Jesus and him crucified for our sins and really a clear exposition of God's word. I can get all of this from Oprah or from Dr. Phil. But the thing I can't get from them is Jesus. ...fail after the kids leave home. Did you know that? Well, let me just tell you something. That's not even true. They failed long before the kids left home. Because they concentrated on their kids or on their careers, on other things. And when the kids leave, they realize they have no relationship whatsoever. The greatest gift I believe Roxanne and I ever gave to our kids wasn't the gift of them never being babysat. In fact, they will tell you the greatest nights of their lives were the days they were babysat. That's a whole other issue. We made sure that we didn't lose track of each other. The greatest gift we gave our children was the gift of a relationship where we love each other as much and more today than we ever did. And that has provided a great example for them. See, they did it. You can do it too. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and apply these principles. And you can't just do it with your marriage. I, I tried to. I mean, with each one of my kids, I tried to have one-on-one, -on -one, and Roxanne did the same, one-on-one -on -one times where we invested uniquely in each of our kids so the relationship would develop on its own. But then we also made sure we did it as a family unit. We, we individually invested, and then we invested together so that the solar system of our lives functioned well together. You have to have a strategy. And most of us don't. We just keep living large, living life, and it's just breaking apart around us. What's another principle of success? You have to build on the right foundation. You have to build on the right foundation. I mean, look at how Jesus said it in Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, everyone who... We haven't heard the words of Jesus. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that assumes that you've heard them. Okay, and a sentence or two 
from Jesus does not equal hearing Christ's words. How are we supposed to apply the words of Jesus if we're not hearing them? The job of the pastor is to preach the word. He's strip-mining the Bible, and by doing so, all we're getting is law, no gospel. Listens to God's word as I'm teaching it is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Well, let me tell you, the winds and the rains are absolutely trashing our lives. Yes, and Jesus said, here's these words of mine and, well, does something with them, right? You better start teaching these people what Jesus said. Get busy. You're way behind. You're you're actually like, you're still in the starting gate. I mean, we are 41 minutes into this thing called a sermon here. And I mean, seriously, we've gotten, what, two sentences of Jesus at this point? Well, if I'm supposed to apply everything that Jesus said, well, then you better start telling me what he said. But you can stand if you build on the right foundation. So what's a practical idea here? You need to commit yourself to knowing God's truth and to building your life. Yeah, but don't expect to hear it at church. You you got to commit yourself to knowing God's truth, but don't come to church to get it. So you're on a solid foundation, and then you need to commit to helping others in your relationship with know God's word and build their life on it. You just don't follow his example, because this is the worst example possible of what it means to, you know, to teach God's word or show somebody what God's word says. If you are choosing to build relationships by trashing God's word, throwing it out, saying it's irrelevant to your life, then you are building... Well, that's what you did, Pastor. You threw it out. We only got a couple of sentences from the Bible all out of context. If you, if you, I mean, you're trashing it yourself. And I'm looking at your stage here, and you got a bunch of circus stuff, circus animals in a circus tent going on in your church. I don't see a cross anywhere. Life on the sand. And you are going to experience destruction. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's forgiveness. But who wants to clean up the mess of bad... Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's forgiveness. Afterthought. Yeah, but who wants to clean up the mess in your life? Choices when you can avoid them in the first place by building on the right foundation. Finally, the last principle of success. This is just big picture stuff to help you. You need to create the right partnerships. You need to create the right partnerships. Now, this is a big one because we can't do it alone. We try. Yeah, see, the Bible's, you know, there's all these passages in the, talking about, you know, for, principle for success in your marriage, create the right partnerships. No passages come to mind. Do relationships alone. I mean, I, I know personally, I've tried it, and I, I deal with people who try it. Husbands and wives try and do their relationship alone without each other. Really? Same thing with parenting, same thing with you. We try and do it without each other. Parents never really connect and communicate with kids. They just try and structure their lives. And kids never really communicate with the kids. They just try and avoid that structure of life. And every part of our lives, we have to create partnerships if we're going to successfully do relationships. That's what relationships are about. And you know, the single most, I have three partnerships I want to tell you that are just key. And it's quick, but they're important. But the first one is foundational. If you're going to be successful in building your relationships, walking against the prevailing winds in this culture, you have to create 
an absolute partnership with Jesus Christ. Have to. Okay, yeah, okay, law. Okay, great. Um, sure. I haven't learned anything about Jesus. Who is he? What did he say? Well, I mean, what did he teach? What did he do? I haven't learned nothing about Jesus from this sermon. I mean, so I got to go into partnership with him. I mean, is this like a limited liability partnership? Is this a business, you know, a deal? What kind of partnership are we talking about here? Is it a, a coach trainee association? What are you talking about? Again, I don't know nothing about what Jesus has done from this sermon. I have no clue. So why do I need to go into partnership with him? Who is he? What has he done? Absolutely. Look at John fifteen five. He says that I am the vine, the source of life, yeah. the branches. Yeah. You have no life apart from me. If yeah, if you believe that, then why aren't you spending all this time abiding in him and teaching him and preaching him and what he's done and what he's said? Remain attached to me. Remain dependent on me, in partnership with me. My life flows through you, and you produce all kinds of fruit. You ex- Weird that, I mean, here he's, you know, quoting, you know, a sentence from Jesus. No context, just a sentence, telling us the importance of abiding in Christ, you know, that he's the vine, we're the branches, you know, we got to remain in him. And yet nothing in this sermon is preaching or teaching anything that Jesus did, said, or whatever. I mean... Okay, I got. So, I mean, do we just abide in the uh, and remain in the Jesus of our imagination? It's the good, the pleasurable, the perfect will of God. But if you aren't attached to me, what's it say? You can do what? Nothing. Nothing. You wonder why it's so hard to do relationships because you can't do relationships alone. Without Jesus Christ, you can't do them at all. In fact, First John says we love because he first loved us, and too many of us don't know his love. And so, Yeah, that's right. The reason why they don't know their love is because you're not preaching it. don't know how to love. This is where you start. And so before I give you the last two partnerships, would you bow with me in just a, a simple word of prayer? And this isn't the great escape moment. This is the prayer moment. <sighs> and if you're here and you're already a believer, I just really encourage you to test yourself against your partnership with Christ. Are you... Uh-huh, yeah, well... Oh! Come up short, everybody, if you're honest. You're coming up short there. In him, are you experiencing his life flow? Or are you trying to do it on your own? But Ugh. some of you are here and you've never, ever entered this dependent partnership on Jesus. And I'm going to encourage you to pray with me. Whether you're- So all of these people who've never entered a dependent partnership on Jesus, they're sinners, right? They've sinned and transgressed God's holy law. Are they even aware of that? Not after this sermon. Watching online or you're watching here in live service. Just in your heart, say, God, I believe you're the source of life. And without you, I have no ultimate hope for life or love or relationships. And yet I've sinned against you. I've left you out of my life. I've disconnected from you. I've done my own things. No explanation as to what that is or the consequences of it. But Jesus, I believe when you died on that cross, you were dying for my sin. No explanation about that at all. So we're now we're getting the you know the the cross and the forgiveness of sins, kind of as an afterthought in a prayer at the end of a circus performance. 
and I'm asking you by faith to forgive me. Wow. Okay, so we're going to sneak in the forgiveness of sins here, but why do, do the people there understand their need for forgiveness? Not at all. And I believe when you rose again, you rose to give me new life, and by faith I'm asking you to put it in me. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I, it's just absolutely surreal to me that, you know, what little gospel we get is at the tail end in a prayer while everyone's got their head bowed and nobody understands. I mean, he didn't clearly preach it or teach it or anything. And yet he taught the importance of abiding in Christ and his word and his teaching. And yet he wasn't teaching Christ and his word or anything like that. Out of context. Ah, oh, man, man, man. How on earth do these guys expect for people to abide in Christ, to grow by his word and his teaching, without teaching it? I mean, this is like Pharaoh demanding of the children of Israel, we expect you to build, you know, to make bricks, but we're not going to provide you with the mud, we're not going to provide you with the straw and the things that you need to make the bricks, but we're, the quota is up. you got to keep going. I mean, seriously. Expecting people to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit without preaching Christ is like Pharaoh demanding bricks without providing the straw. It can't be done. And at this point, what are we doing? We're strip mining the Bible to find relevant life tips and applications so that we can, well, we can show people that we care about them and we care about the things that they're struggling with in their lives. And what happens? There was no clear preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Sinners were basically told, you know, listen, you need to apply these things. You need to set your, you know, set your mind on this. You know, you make Jesus, you know, go into a partner, strategic partnership with Jesus and you need to, and you need to, you know, really walk against the winds of the culture and set your mind to it. And, you know, and follow the example of Jesus, but we're not going to tell you what Jesus did. Yeah, none of that. It just doesn't make any sense. This is just miserable, absolutely miserable. I mean, it started off bad with the whole circus theme, and and it got just got worse from there. And this shows the utter bankruptcy of this so-called church model. Demanding that people follow the example of Jesus and abide and remain in him without preaching anything about him. That is ridiculous. Strip mining the Bible and washing away all of the doctrinal and theological parts so that we can get to the application parts? That doesn't make any sense at all. Because the applications don't make sense biblically without the theology and the doctrine. The two work together. And yet, all of that gets washed away in these relevant life tip application sermons. And what do they end up being? All law. And even when the gospel is preached, it makes no sense. Here you got people praying you know, to Jesus to add, you know, to forgive them of their sins, and you haven't explained hokum about what Jesus has really done. What it means for him to die for the sins of the world. What it went through to secure our redemption and salvation. None of that. You think they're just supposed to figure this out on their own or that somehow it's floating around in the cultural waters? Everybody already knows that. Just tap into it. Your job is to preach it. Uh, anyway. 
so we're at the end of another edition of Fighting the Faith. I'm looking at the time going, okay, Chris, wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. This is, like I said, this is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It's like Pharaoh demanding the people of Israel produce bricks without giving them straw. Produce the fruit of the Spirit, but we're not going to give you Christ and we're not going to give you his word. But you better produce it. It's the best thing ever. Now get cracking, but we're not going to feed you God's word. It doesn't make any sense. It's actually offensive and repugnant. Pray that God would open their eyes and bring them to repentance, especially Brad Powell, for this false methodology. He thinks he's helping people, but in reality, he's really hurting them. Because this is a formula ultimately for despair. It's all law. And even when the gospel's preached, it doesn't make any sense because he doesn't spend time explaining what Jesus has done. Unbelievable. Anyway, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sin. Amen. Amen.